Greetings, my friend, and welcome to Beyond Curious, conversations with brave adventurers like yourself that are taking voyages into the unknown to satisfy their curiosity, fulfill their purpose, and bring their ideas to life. I'm Brandon Fong, and I'm beyond excited to have you here, whether you are a new friend or an old friend. Man, oh man, am I excited to introduce you to my friend, Max Cunningham. These two giant Turkish men walk in, like six, five, jacked, in robes also, short little robes. And we're like, okay. And they they just start, they, they point at one of us, they tell us to come here, they tell us to put our arms out and they start washing us, okay? They like take this bucket of water and this sponge and aggressively start washing our bodies. Oh my gosh, I have not laughed this hard during a podcast interview in a long time. So I guess you're going to have to hang out for just a second to figure out what the heck Max was up to to get scrubbed down with her friends and two giant Turkish men. (laughs) Oh man, so just hang on for a second until that story comes. But man, oh man, am I excited to introduce you to Max. She has become one of my new most favorite humans. And I was tempted to tell the story during the intro about how I met Max, uh, but I decided to actually save it for doing it live on the show because I thought it'd be way more fun. So at a super high level, even though there is so much more to her than this, Max is an investment baker turned economist, turned startup founder, turned CEO of Pick My Brain. Pick My Brain helps people from all around the world find new ways to buy, sell, and gift their unique gifts globally via the click of a button. There's a bunch of different ways that I could describe Pick My Brain. We obviously get into it, but think Amazon, but instead of products, it's knowledge with the world's people. Imagine how much value is unlocked when we have the ability to buy, sell, and trade knowledge in a very accessible way and how much good that creates in the world. So there's so much to look forward to in this episode. But as always, I would love for you to look for three specific things. Number one, why Max hosted parties in high schools with her math, art, and athletic friends all together and what that has to do with finding a business in alignment with who she is. Number two, how Max was selected as one of 12 of thousands of students at the University of Alberta to run a $2 million fund for the university and what pissed her off yet sparked something in her brain as she ran that fund and how that had to do with her creating Pick My Brain in some capacity. And then also number three, why Max quit her job to take a year on spending $30,000 into her learning, growth, and development, and then how that also led to uncovering the vital things that she needed to learn to develop and create Pick My Brain. Guys, this is such an incredible conversation. I know, I know, I know that Max is going to be coming back multiple times in the future on the podcast. Every single time I talk to her, I just have so much fun, and you're going to find out a little bit more about how we met and all that incredible stuff in this episode. So without any further ado, here is my dear friend, Maxine Cunningham. Holy shit, this is gonna be so epic. Oh my gosh, guys, I'm so excited. I am sitting here, Maxine's smiling face is staring at me, and I'm gonna introduce her in just a second. But I thought it'd be fun to share with Maxine sitting here awkwardly smiling at me while I tell her how much I love her and how much I appreciate her, the story about how we got connected. So this goes back a few months ago now. Our mutual friend, Jem Fuller, who is also a guest of ours, 
was responsible for making this happen because I was talking to him and I just feel really blessed because I feel like I finally found the language that unlocks finding my people because he was like, who do you want to get connected with? I'm like, I'm looking for curious people that love deep connection, they're purpose led. And like one of the first words out of his mouth was like this Maxine, you got to talk to Maxine. So like he introduced us and Max, I don't know if, if I fucked it up or if you fucked it up, but like we didn't respond right away. And then I caught up with Jem like several weeks later and we had the same conversation and I was like, he was like, remind me who you want to get connected with. And I told him, and he's like, have you met Maxine yet? I was like, you introduced us, but we dropped the ball. And then we connected and it was like, literally we, we became iPhone favorite friends, like the, the second or first time we meet. And it was so amazing hanging out with you. You're changing the world already, but mark my words. I know, I know you're just getting started. So Max, I am so excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, I love it. I can, I'm just, the energy is so vibe. I love our story. I love our portal. I love where we're going. I love that you were my favorite iPhone friend within one conversation. <laughs> that never happened to me before. So. Me either. <laughs> but here we are. Oh man. So I, I was thinking about all the places that we could start because we've had plenty of conversations at this point. We spent time together at, at the curiosity quest. And mm -hmm. so I thought a, a fun place to start that would kind of get a glimpse of your adventurous spirits and kind of how you do things. And I'll set the scene. I'm, I feel like I'm talking a lot for an intro, but I'm going to set the scene for our friends. So our friends can just pretend they were there with us. So we're at this event that I put together called the curiosity quest in park city, Utah. We just had an epic few days. We were in a cabin, in the mountains, we did some some wander and wonder hiking. We did some tubing. Ryan, who's a past guest, came in and did a liquid workshop. And everybody's like best friends. And we're on the last day. And at the last night, we were all chilling in this hot tub overlooking the mountains at night. And this, this question occurred to me to kind of facilitate a fun conversation with everyone there around crazy travel stories. <laughs> and, and Max's travel story was so funny. It's, it's not exactly related, but I thought it'd be a fun place to start. So Max, I would love for you to talk to us about your experience with Turkish baths. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's the one you go for. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, I will high level share this story that involved all of my best friends uh, bathing with my mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, right after uh, in between university went went traveling in Europe went from London all the way down to Turkey with a group of my best friends. And we were going to end in Turkey and my mom was going to meet us there because she had rented a house in Turkey and she said, why don't you bring all your friends down um, at the end of your trip and I'll host them in this house in Turkey and we'll just end the trip in Turkey. And I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. So we set off, me and my friends started in London. We had a month to work our way down to meet my mom in Turkey. We did that. A bunch of shenanigans happened along that route, but we land in Turkey you know, five of my best friends, my mom and this house in Turkey with my brother. And we start traveling as a family and just doing all these activities together, traveling Turkey together. Um, someone had recommended, you got to go do this Turkish bath thing. Um, it's really interesting. We're like, okay, yeah, like a Turkish bath, sure. Yeah, I don't even know what I was picturing. Maybe like a mud bath or a sauna. I don't know. So anyways, we go to the Turkish bath. They um, tell us to undress and put this towel over ourselves and they warm us up in this hot bath to get all soft 
And then they issue us into this room that is completely a hundred percent made of marble. And there's a table in the middle. I feel like I'm in a religious ceremony. I'm like, what the heck? You're about to get sacrificed. (laughs) Sacrificed. These two giant Turkish men walk in like six, five jacked in robes. Also short little robes. And we're like, okay. And they, they just start, they, they point at one of us. They tell us to come here. They tell us to put our arms out and they start washing us. Okay. They like take this bucket of water and this sponge and aggressively start washing our bodies. <laughs> and everybody else is watching. Everybody's watching, like heads <laughs> kind of down, like not sure what to do. And they like play with us. They like they like whip a towel a little bit and smack my my best friend's butt and then my mom so then we're going through and we're, we're just like like do I stare in the corner sad like all wet in this marble room with these giant men washing us my mom's there my best friend so my mom goes up they call my mom and I'm like I'm like you know telling my guy friends I'm like turn around like, <laughs> so she's like such a hippie entrepreneur you know and so she just like takes off her robe and just lets <laughs> two men completely sponge her down and I am like okay I've got four guy friends here two girlfriends I'm just like look away look away and yeah anyway so that was really the crux but then there was like an hour and a half more of things that we had to like interact after <laughs> that experience had occurred that involved massaging and like water and hot bath but with a group oh (laughs) my god that was the moment um yeah real etched in my mind moment (laughs) that story was like just as good hearing it the second time as it was hearing it the first time like it's just such a everyone can imagine how awkward and hilarious that must have been oh my god so i I thought I, like like I said, I, I just, I really want people to get a sense of who you are. Cause obviously we're going to talk about pick my brain later. And I think it's, what's been really fun getting to know you. It's like layers of an iceberg. Like there's like, oh yeah, she does pick my brain. But it's like, as I found out more about you and what you do, it's like, oh my God, pick my brain is literally like what Max was designed to do with her life. And so there are several, several conversations that we've had that like this kept clicking over and over and over again. I'm like, she literally found something that is like, the the ultimate puzzle piece of putting together all the things that make you you into a business into a way that impacts the world and serves people in really cool ways another thing that stuck out to me i think this was before the curiosity quest we were talking about your how you showed up in high school and the things that were always just really interesting for you in high school and one of the other things you talked about that really stood out to me was this this innate desire that you had to bring different people together in really cool context so i would love for you to share a little bit more about your experience of hosting high school parties with your your various friend groups and, and kind of how that sparked things for you. Yeah, well, thank you so much. It's so nice to rehear that when you, you know, because you found your purpose a little while ago with Beyond Curious, right? It all clicked and you're like, yeah. of course. And, and yeah, Pick My Brain really is an amalgamation of my entire life, my habits, my routines, what I love to do combined into an idea. Um, but yeah, it did start like really early on. So in high school, I was kind of the girl that, um yeah played bat was the captain of the basketball team played volleyball played badminton played golf um you know was there was a real athlete in the school was athlete of the year at my high school which is probably one of my greatest achievements I was so excited about that but could never never pick one sport 
um, found that I, if I did, I probably would have maybe gone further in one, but the ability to play multiple allowed me to play all sports and pick them up very quickly as well. And be able then to hop culture to culture. Cause each sport has a different culture. Each mm. sport has different people. Each sport has different strategies. And that's what I was obsessed with is how quickly can I mold into this culture, um, master, learn how to master elements of this game. Um, and that was my greatest happiness. So just like in high school, I couldn't pick one sport and I found the value in playing multiple sports. Um, I did the same with people. Um, so, you know, I was also hugely into math as a kid and was like on the math wall and found this little tribe in my math group that loved math and talking about math and doing equations. And so I became, I had a little cluster in the math group and the AP math students that love to do that. Um, I equally loved art. And so I took art and uh, same thing, like through the creation of all of these, some of these are from my high school, uh, these pictures behind me for those that are listening to the podcast, um, you know, develop this community in art. Um, I wanted to take all three sciences. I could never pick between bio, chem and physics. I was like, I must know them all. I know I was the kid that never had a spare in high school. Cause I was like, how could you have, there's so many classes to take. I need to take them all to the end. Um, so much that in university, I, I had to get the dean's permission to take seven courses instead of five, something I never recommend, but I just was so hungry for the diversity in exposure and how I just, yeah, I just really, really loved it. So anyways, because I was in all these sports and taking all these classes, I developed friend pockets. I was never friends with one group. And, um, it was hard for me to manage that, but also I was the person that would be like, I'm going to host a party and the math kids are going to be there and the art kids are going to be there. And my athletic friends are going to be there and my science friends. And I would love, I was love put, put, putting them together and getting them to interact. I just found it so fascinating. And I also found it a challenge because people really stick to their groups, but can you create um, connections very quickly between them. And can you allow that transfer of knowledge that you know could happen between different groups with a bit of facilitation, which you and I have in so much common, which is why we can jam forever any second of any day. <laughs> um, so yeah, that really started. And I carried that through um, in university and I carried that through to when I did my master's. Um, I would you know, bring everyone that was in my master's program in economics together regularly throughout the year. And I'd rent a cabin out in the woods and be like, okay, at this cabin, um, I'm going to make different teams and you have to make dinner or breakfast or lunch. Um, and yeah, just facilitate, bring things and facilitate different um, ways that would allow the group to deepen their connection and have fun. Um, so yeah, that is, that is core to who I am. And now I'm just trying to do that on a global scale. <laughs> I'm like, I was just, I graduated from master's and I did it at my next job. They called me, my nickname was active collaboration girl. Cause I worked at this international think tank that had all these divisions. I was on the climate change team. There were so many other teams. So I was like, we must hang out once a month on a lunch and learn. And we must share what we're all working on because I'm only seeing the climate change, but I know it's related to adaptation. And I know that's related to forestry. Um, and so I'm going to get, this is before Zoom was back then. I was like, I'm going to get all the teams to come together and do this lunch and learn things. So anyways, just kept progressing my ability to do that. And like I said, now I'm like, okay, how can I do this with the entire population of the world? How can I facilitate all these connections with no barriers or boundaries, um, but partnerships and 
and um, collaboration. And yeah, how does that game look? What does that game look like? I want to play a game with the world. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. You, li you listening, just like take that and just like place that in a spot in your brain. And we're going to revisit how this manifests manifests later to pick my brain. Cause oh man, that's so cool. You said so many, are you a Harry Potter fan, by the way? I don't know if you were ahead of this conversation. Kind of. Um, I was, I was, but I'm not a fanatic. Like I didn't okay. love the books, read them all. Um, but never like got into the trivia or like deep you know, love the story and what it added. And then I'm good. I'm on to my next book. <laughs> you just, I mean, the, the reason why I asked is because you remind me of like Hermione Granger, like, oh, like, like it. having, having too many classes that you wanted to yeah. take. So she had to literally get a time turner from the headmaster to go back and take more classes. It's I like, so <laughs> jealous of her for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's like the definition of like the ultimate tool the max dream. needs is, is yeah. There, there's yeah. so much that you said that we could go down on like different, well, first of all, like anyone listening clearly like I think you're the definition of the word curious I think your like name gets cited next to the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition and and I also love I'm, I'm not going to put too much of a uh I'm not going to divert too much here but I, I love too about your diversity of experiences and all the different sports and that kind of stuff and like I'm sure that that set up just a massive foundation for your ability to learn more effectively because like the more that you learn, the easier it is to learn. And like, for me growing up, like what am I, I don't think we've ever talked about this. Like one of the first things I ever learned how to do was play pool. Like my dad was a huge pool player. There's this like cute little picture of my dad playing pool. And I got like, I'm like on a sack on his back. And like, I'm kind of like holding a ball, like what the heck is this guy doing? But like, I just found that like learning pool at a really young age, like I used to have like half of a pool cue stick and I would walk around with like a little stool. Cause I wasn't tall enough to see over, but like just having those foundational skills or like those found, like how does learning one sport work? Like with pool, it's like you have to isolate your movements, right? Like you can't yeah. be moving all over the place, but like those universal things apply across all different sports. So it, it must've been really cool to see you kind of like unlock and play all these different things. And I'm sure that's probably why you're so an effective learner is because you've been able to kind of like understand the first principles, all these different things that empower you to kind of connect and do those other stuff. So just a little mm. nerd tangent. <laughs> I, I love it. Totally agree. Love the application of pool. What a good thing to learn when you're young too, because there are so many isolated movements, angles, right? You yeah. got to think about it. But yeah, I think there's principles in everything. And it's the ability to quickly understand those principles that allows you to finally break rules after the principles. And I love to break rules. So I have to learn the principles really fast, but yeah. And then once you learn it, right, I can take elements of pool and apply it to basketball with angles in the board. You yeah. know, I can take elements of basketball and pivoting and, and apply it to badminton and how to get distance and like move my feet. And I love the stacking. I just, there's this book that came out that compared Roger Federer and, um, oh my gosh, greatest golfer of all time tiger woods tiger woods <laughs> and, yeah um the tiger woods was golfing since he was two okay they put a golf club in his hand since his two and prodigy trained him to become the golfer that he was he he did everything golf forever in every capacity okay and became the world's best and then there's roger federer who played every sport um, multiple sports and sometimes played on the community team rather than going up because friends were more important to him and slowly delineated and found tennis and became the world's best and attributes his success to that multi-dimensional learning and tiger attributes to his success for that specialization and it's like the the, the real thing is that there isn't one answer to become an effective learner it's just which one are you 
Mm. Like, do you know that you do you know who you are? I am not Tiger Woods. I, I, I love the idea of mastering one. I really do. I struggle with it. Cause I'm like, that's deep and intimate, but I'm like, I am a Roger Federer. I love to touch. I can't go against my nature. Um, and that's how I learned. So yeah, effective learning can, it's such a, even just the term effective learning is such a fun thing to think about. How do you become a really good learner? Yeah. It, it, I mean, yeah. it speaks, it speaks so much to, I mean, it's like, for me, there's such a, there's such a high for, there's like diminishing marginal returns. They're using some, some economic language for you, like oh, of, nice. of learning, right? Cause it's yeah. like, you get that high of that initial, yeah. that massive momentum. But then yes. like, obviously if you're taking the Tiger Woods route, there's so much, there's, it's a different game to learn mastery where it is to go and learn many different things. And, oh man, this is so dangerous because you and I could just talk about random stuff for forever. So I I want to, no, 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 all good. And I mean, another, another kind of seed of plant, it's like, because it picked my brain, it's like, you've had over 1800 conversations with the world's people. So that's why whatever, if you ever, if you're listening, you ever get a chance to talk to Max, which she has a availability on side of her pick my brain calendar. If you, if you get one of those slots, but like Max can talk about anything because she pretty much has talked about everything. Like after you have 1800 conversations, (laughs) There's pretty, there's very little that you can't not talk about. So, um, so, so let's kind of continue back where we were. So you were talking about your high school experiences. You're just like all over the place, learning all this kind of stuff, connecting cool people, making people do fun, weird shit together. And it's just like, you guys need to do this kind of stuff. So you obviously kind of like chase this curiosity all over. And I know that part of your story too, is like, you were an investment banker turned economist turned startup founder. Right. So I think it'd be kind of fun to fill in some of those gaps of like how you kind of started to rein in some of that curiosity from everything to something. And, mm. and I don't know if this is a great start, but I was listening to another podcast you were on where you talked about how you were actually selected to be in charge of a $2 million fund in college. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a good place to start here, but yeah. I would love to kind of just talk a little bit about your experiences and how that kind of like narrowed and narrowed more into where you're at today. Brandon, you're so good. I just have to say it again. You're just so good. It's just ridiculous. Every time I hang out with you, I'm like, a plus plus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the, uh, yeah. How did I dial into finance? How did I choose investment banking? Um, and then come back to pick my brain, which is like everything. Again. Everything. Like, yeah. Portal through the tunnel. Uh, so yeah, I did. I thought my first thought at the end of high school, I was, I really did love math and I love money and I love grow the, I, someone put the idea in my head that you can grow money on this thing called a stock market. And the stock market was this place where people came, um, that had ideas, but no money and people came that had money, but no ideas. And those two people came together and that concept, I was, I just remember being like, that's fascinating. Cause I like bring people together and there's things that happen and I started thinking about like learning more about the economy as I aged and being like noticing that where we spent our money is what is built, right? Where we focus the financial attention of our economy is what what is intentionally created. I said, oh, if I could impact and direct where the flow of money goes, does that mean I can create? That was like the starting point. And when I did go to university, I did naturally, my, both my parents are entrepreneurs. So I'm like raised as an entrepreneur. So business just captured for me, the most multidisciplinary thing I could study, um, out of all of the options. And so I, I took my commerce degree very quickly, started getting really good at the finance, um, classes. And I loved thinking about multiplying money, multiplying impact, giving someone a dollar and then making 10 using resources in the world, 
um, you know, investing in someone's idea or business that's showing traction towards a world we want to see all those things like tantalized my brain. And so, yeah, tracked from business started to focus on finance. And then there was this program that the university offered called prime. And it was, Oh my gosh, thinking back to it, it was just remarkable. But what it was is that they were to pick 12 students of thousands at the University of Alberta to manage this fund for the university, which is a $2 million fund. It was a two-year commitment. You had to go through all of these applications, my goodness, interviews, riddles, written stuff, um, because they were going to give you access to a Bloomberg terminal, which again, even having a Bloomberg terminal on campus is like a big thing. It's quite a big investment. Um, and a board of advisors that we had to manage this $2 million fund and say what we were going to do with the money and why, what strategy are we going to follow? Everyone was responsible for a different sector of our portfolio. And I just thought, damn, a application of knowledge. Yes, please. Um, and so I applied and to my surprise, I was one of the few that got in the, there was only two girls in the program and nine men and that might've played in my advantage, but I was just like, so curious about it that I think that that went through ended up being put in charge of the largest section of the fund, which was energy. I'm from Alberta, which is the energy, uh, capital of Canada and uh, yeah, got to for two years, think about um, a strategy to grow this fund while communicating to advisors as to why and while also recognizing and having my first thought of being like, do I want to put my money into these oil companies? And how do I choose between these oil companies? What is the mission of this oil company? What is the CEO wanting to do? Are they um, thinking about the planet and noticing that Bloomberg didn't have these indicators for me to make an accurate decision as to where to allocate my giant fund because I want to make sure I'm putting it into companies that are doing the right thing moving towards the future that we're agreeing on and recognizing that I couldn't do that and that started to understand how inefficient the economy is when it comes to funneling money to the right places and that just really kick-started these questions that I would put to the advisors of being like, Bloom, Bloomberg should tell me when I'm choosing between an oil company, what their emissions are and what the target is and if they're achieving it. Um, especially if the United Nations goal is to reduce CO2, which it was, but I feel like these big institutions, the United Nations is, is responsible for gathering the thoughts of hundreds of countries and telling us what we need to do, but the stock market is not listening. Okay, where we transact billions of dollars on the stock market, I would say like 90% of traders don't know about the sustainable development goals. And to me, that is a fat, what is the point mm. if that connection of knowledge has not been made and integrated, then it's a, this is the fragmented society that the right knowledge is not being applied to where we transact all of our money, which creates all of our sustainable development issues and initiatives and potential. So yeah, that's, I don't know if you want me to pause, but that's no, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to make a wet, wild stab in the dark. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm really curious to just chase this because it's like, my, my guess is that you were probably one of the 12, you were the, correct me if I'm wrong. Were you the only student that was thinking this way about, about this, or was anybody else concerned about this? You don't have to go too in depth with it, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Only one was immediately hippie kid. Right. And I'm like, this isn't okay. hippie. This is math. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so I want to, I yeah. want to uncover why 
and how you started to have this lens about the world. Cause I think it's also really important to look through it. So you mentioned your mom earlier being a hippie. And another thing that you talked about in our earlier conversation is this phrase. And I'm sure you'll, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to talk about, I want, yeah, I'm, I don't know how I'm, this is going to come out of my mouth. Keep rocking it in the free world. I want to know, I want to know how that influence earlier on has to do with the way that you showed up with your thinking and in, in investment. Oh, such a good question. My God, Brandon. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's so deep and meaningful. So my dad, whenever he assigns off with me, the phrase is keep rocking on a free world kid, go do it all. That's my dad's mantra to me. Keep rocking. You know, it's just go, it's a free world. You can do whatever you want. And so my parents have ingrained that into me for sure. Um, and that means something and that does play out. And I've actually never made that connection until right now, as deep as I have just for you bringing that up. So thank you for that in massive insight that now I actually think I'll know the speech that I probably give to my father on our last day as well. <laughs> anyway, um, and we'll be so happy with that moment. And then I have this mother who is, oh gosh, both my parents are deeply connected to nature. They took us to, out in, in nature. We, I grew up on a farm as a kid. My grandparents had this farm and we'd get shipped there with all my cousins to work the farm and work the land. So I had this grounding in nature and understanding how important it was and how good it felt. And so I think that was, and then I took, you know, in, 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 in university, because of that, there was this environmental economist class that I took and I started to understand that there's a limited amount of resources and that they need to be distributed equitably and that we're not in alignment with that. And right. The problem. So, so all of that kind of colluded, but I'd say my parents, I mean, foundationally had me understanding that, um, you got to follow your passions. You got to rock out. Uh, you got to play the air guitar and nature is so grounding and so important. And our food comes from the land and eat everything, you know, don't waste anything, uh, recycle all the time. Like my mom was the person that would like pull the can of the garbage and be like, what the hell? Like, you know, like never <laughs> allowed, and then, yeah, this, this, this upbringing and access to this farm made me understand ecosystems. So I think all of that played in it because if I look at my, my, my partners in that prime program, I don't think they would have had the opportunity to grow up on a farm. Um, you know, that was pretty unique. Uh, and I'm not sure if they were given the passion of like how important nature is and how that works because sometimes if you're removed they say if a kid isn't introduced to nature by the time they're seven they don't really get it mm. and you you've met adults that don't get nature right they just don't camp they don't touch earth they don't see the the interconnectedness of it all um, and I'd say that oh, there's a big percent of the population that live in that camp and that's really worrisome because if you don't get it, you don't protect it, you don't think about it, you don't integrate it. And this is what we see when L'Oreal made the decision, a billion dollar company to shift a, a supply of sand to use as an exfoliant for microplastic beads. That tells me that that, that, that that is such an issue because this person decided to go from sand to microplastic beads. Microplastic beads went into all their products around the world. These microplastic beads were so small, got through the filters. And now we have an irreversible problem where plastic soup is existing everywhere. And this it's, it's massive if you dig into this microplastic case, but it's because someone on that team did not think, like to me, that's a, that's a how did that not cross your mind? 
kind of scenario. But if you don't have an understanding, if you're just looking at this is cheaper on the accounting sheet and there's no chief sustainability officer that that decision goes through and they have no idea about the United Sustainable Development Goals and that plastic is the number one issue in the world. And if, if they don't have that loop, that decision gets passed and causes irreversible damage internationally. And to me, that means that that company is responsible for that, I think, because they're an international, they should know better. They should be bankrupt because of that for me, but th- nothing happens. Hmm. They get a slap on the wrist and be like, can you kind of remove that by some arbitrary date? We'll give you till 2030 to switch your supply chain because that'll be, and I'm like, no. You know, so there's these disconnects, again, this fragmentation with key decision makers not having that base of knowledge. And I'm like, how do you feel that base of knowledge if that kid uh, in her child didn't, didn't understand nature? Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that's where it came from. I, I mean, it, it wasn't as much of a question as much as just like, a, I want to hear you talk about this. So you talked about it. And it was great. And I learned a lot. So it, which is fantastic. So and it, it reminded me of a conversation that we had over dinner at the Curiosity Quest, where it's like lots of these big companies, it's like, they'll just eat the fees or the, the slap, like they get fine yeah. slapped on them. And it's like, all right, sounds good. I'll suck it up. And they're like, what are you going to do a multi-billion dollar company that just can can take it, right? So yeah. you, you, you got, obviously, you kind of got pissed about this, right? Like, you know, like yeah. you saw, you, you yeah. saw this inside of the Bloomberg terminal that there was no way to get an insider scoop on what are the real values, what's really at play behind all these different things. And that that kind of, I'm assuming was part of the reason why you jumped into wanted to have an even bigger understanding and going to a, the, being an economist. So maybe talk a little bit about why, even after all that experience in the finance world, you wanted to go into becoming an economist too. Uh, Yeah, so I went finance. Uh, I got a co-op job. I worked as a banker. I worked as an investment banker. I saw the application of my finance degree early and I didn't like it. It wasn't holistic enough. The decisions that were being made were primarily to do with financial reasons and that was it. There was no consideration of environmental and social. And I was like, I can't this doesn't feel like the right decision. And economics, what economics offered me, which is why I quickly did my after degree in economics and then proceeded to do my master's in economics after the finance stint was because economics was how do, how do you, how do you allocate resources equitably? That's the biggest question, economic, economics, why do people do what they do? And we need to analyze this from an environmental, economic and social perspective. Okay. So finance only offered me one of those pillars. And so I was seeking, I'm like, no, uh, I've seen that based on my experiencing managing this fund that without the other pillars the wrong decisions are being made and this is leading to repercussions I don't want to I got to go over here so I shifted to economics and started to think about this problem um, more holistically and learn how to model in a different way and see the world in a different way and economists what I love about economics and, and what has forever altered my ability to make decisions is economists make all decisions through price. Okay. So they don't, they know, so it's not like investment banking, which is every decision is made to maximize profit. Econo- economists are like, how do we influence the most amount of people's decision to where benefits the society the most? And they're just like, price will do that because we are all sensitive to price. Mm. Price is the common language globally. Right, we have 196, 97 countries in the world. Um, 
and we don't all speak the same language. We don't all have the same beliefs. We do not all have the same religion. We do not all have the same history, but we all know what money is and we all see price and we use it every single day. Mm. So an economist thinks that if we adjust the price of something, we can impact the movement or um, behavior of people in a certain way. And in environmental econ economics, it's applied with, um, uh, we need to put a price on negative externalities and we need to put, um, we need to offer uh, subsidies for positive externalities. So for example, carbon, right? We're, we're now producing more carbon th than the world can hold. And an economist solution would be to put a price on carbon and it will be solved. If we start charging people for carbon, uh, businesses will, add that to their bottom line and learn how to very effectively eliminate it if it's a cost or become very efficient with it. And we think that that's the fastest way to create a change instead of doing adaptation and reduction and education. That's too long from an economist perspective. We're like, hmm. start, start charging for it. It'll be solved tomorrow. Um, right. Same thing. Like if, if I was to tackle population control, something that is just a, do not talk about that in politics, even though it is like one of the biggest issues we need to talk about, my economist brain would be like, just pay people not to have kids in a really ethical way. Still give them the choice. Everyone should have freedom rocking in a free. I'm totally into everyone doing everything, but we also need to collaborate collectively to stay in alignment with the planetary boundaries, because that is how many resources we have. So if we need to bring the population down to stay in alignment with that, because we want more, then why not pay people to not have kids and just make a really good agreement that says, if you change your mind, which you totally can, you just have to pay this back. Um, something. And, and, and I could model that as an economist to find out if we pay people $500 a month to not have kids, that will bring the population to this number, which will be in alignment with the planetary boundaries. Like you can do those calculations so quickly with economics and modeling that allow you to solve these massive macroeconomic issues. I mean, you can break it down to micro. So I just approach everything. A, a lot of what, how I solve world problems is like, how can you use price to motivate and swing millions or billions of people's decisions in a way that benefits the majority? And that's just what economists, that's constantly what we're learning about when we study economics. Okay, so clearly today you are not an economist so you you well, you saw well i mean like it's it is not your let me take that back primary. you have you you have you have that in your brain as a part of but like the actual working at a desk job as an economist yeah. wasn't the way that you saw that you could create and and create it solved the world's biggest problems you wanted you wanted more leverage in some way shape or form so obviously yeah. you eventually jumped in the world of being a startup founder um yeah. and i think uh, i would love to hear a little bit more about that transition in your year on i think that'd be really yeah. uh, cool to hear about yeah so again yeah I, so i was working in this environmental field for about five years at this company called the international institute for sustainable development trying to work on these issues um at these climate change negotiations seeing how developed and developing countries got together and how these agreements were put in place and was just got too beat down by the process and was like inefficient again just like the stock market i'm like nope this isn't working and it's not going to work and i'm not going to beat my head around this because the process is flawed and even if it wasn't it's going to take too long to do the changes that the numbers are showing us that we need to make 
Um, and I just saw a policy that was really good to get dismantled because of a changing government. And I was like, okay, that's even, I, I didn't even realize that risk existed. I, I was green, right? You don't know until you go through something. Of course, the government can dismantle a good policy because that's how our government works. But anyway, that happened. And I was just like, blech, like, I can't put any more energy here because it's, it's, I'm going to go insane. This doesn't work. Um, and right around that time I was playing with the internet. I'm always playing with different things. And I discovered the site called Airbnb because I was such a big couch surfer. And I like love staying on people's house couches because it allowed me to get that deeper connection with people from all around the world. And I was like an avid couch surfer. I had this place when I was doing masters, I had an extra bedroom. I pretty much ran like a 24 hour book. I was like, the whole world came and stayed with me for a bit. And I'd bring them into my program. And my program would know that I just bring people from around the world into where we're going. And I was like, this is so cool. But so many of my friends didn't do it because it was free. Hmm. Okay. They're like, that's weird. That's, that's scary, Max. And I'm like, it's really not. It's just people. And you get a really great profile and you're verified. It's, you know, but, but it still didn't sit well. And my economist brain was like, that makes sense. And half of me was like, I'm such a good host. I should get paid for this. I could, what if I could get paid for this? <laughs> You know, or like I was just playing with that idea. Like I really put effort into my guests and show them. And I was like, this is a unique idea. Like, what if this could, you know, this is pre-Airbnb experience. This is like 10 years ago. Um, but anyway, so I I stumbled upon this site called Airbnb, Airbnb monetized couch surfing. And I was Brian like, Chesky read your brain. Right, <laughs> yeah. You know, and when ideas are, you know, in the subconsciousnesses of people, I feel like they're being operated on. Like pick my brain is being worked on everywhere, I think, in a way because it's time for that idea. And just like, it was time for Airbnb. Um, but anyway, stumbled on this site was one of the first early users and immediately understood it and was like, shit, no way. This is going to be so good. This is going to fly. My economist brain was tantalized. My like business brain was like, this is so smart. Um, this is going to democratize. I was just like, this is incredible. And then I immediately listed my house and was doing couch surfing and Airbnb to see the difference and saw the formalization of what dollars allowed you to do as well. Um, you know, a little bit of a disconnect, different, different relationship for sure, which is why I still love gifted and paid. Um, but saw the writing on the wall and thought this company is going to create more environmental, economic, and social good than any policy I could possibly work on at this other company. And their scale has no limits. Like I saw very early on, I was like, this company is going to be massive. Um, and it's just going to fly. There's, there's no breaking this. And so, and then when I remember I looked up, I was like, who the heck started this company and what is this tech and marketplace? And, and I saw the three founders, Joe, Brian, and I always forget the third one's name. That's terrible. I knew Joe and Brian, so I can't help. Joe Brian. <laughs> uh, they had a third there for a while. Uh, and I was like, no way. These guys are my age. Their story really inspired me because they were basically doing couch surfing on their house on an airbed and realizing how deeply you can connect with someone when they're in their house, which was the same realizations I was having with couch surfing. And yet they added that economic layer, the payroll, the payment layer. And I was like, this is it. This is my direction. I'm, I'm a hundred percent need to go over here. And so that week I remember booking a, a session with my, the CEO of my company and we walked around Ottawa parliament and over the course of this walk, I was like, I'm so sorry. I have to leave your mission. Um, I need to go work on this other mission. I need to make this transition into this tech world, this marketplace. There's something here. This company is going to create a bunch of environmental and social impact. I know it. 
Um, I'm so sorry, um, but I'm going to come back and onboard you because I had the idea was already percolating. I was like, there's something. So that was the jump. And I was like, so I, I quit my job and I was like, I need to give myself time to make this transition from economist to tech. I'm like, how am I going to do that? And so I came up with this idea. I was like, what if I took a year on? What if I like made up my own university for an entire year? And I thought, you know, I paid $30,000 to do my master's in economics or, or got paid to do that or whatever, um, and put a year into learning economics. And that got me here. What if I put a year into my own university and, and tried to make this transition? And so that's what I did. And I told my partner at the time, I was like, I'm going to do this. Do you want to come? Um, you'd have to quit your job and jump in it with me. He's like hundred percent. So he jumped in it with me and we just started to, and we did our masters together. Um, so we started to design this curriculum for ourselves over the course of this year that would allow ourselves to discover how we're going to make this new transition. And um, yeah, I just remember having so much fun with that process. Like I think everyone should design a year of university for themselves now. And I will probably circle back sometime in my life to create that movement because it was so empowering and it literally unlocked a lot of billion dollar potential ideas and everything that's in my life so far. Just a year of space, a year of curiosity, a year of intentionally going towards where your heart and brain are just like more and you know, no expectations because either way you're going to walk out understanding yourself at a deeper level. So yeah, I just had so much fun with this year and it was on this year that all of the year plus my experiences with the economist and plus my experiences investing aggregated and pick my brain hit me one night. And I was like, oh my God, what if we can buy and sell knowledge. We would be moving into the knowledge economy. That's the next economy that doesn't have an impact on the planet. And it just, I remember that night I could not sleep. And I remember waking up my partner and being like, okay, I need to say something very, it's like, I'm pregnant. Like I just found out I'm pregnant, but I'm not pregnant. I'm pregnant with an idea. My brain is pregnant. <laughs> I, I am, I can't handle this. And, and that was it from that day on, I put everything, um, at, everything in my body commanded working on this problem of being like, how can I do what Airbnb did, but with people and knowledge and conversation and connection? And can this be the next economy? Oh my God. I just, um, I could just imagine like, what would the world look like if people just had permission to take whatever they spent on their college tuition and figure out what they're passionate about in the world? Like, Oh my God. Like what, what that would do is just insane. Like if you gave me 35 grand to just go explore whatever the hell I wanted to. And like, I think the important thing that you said there though, is like, it's just pure, genuine childlike curiosity. Like as much as you were trying to learn about something specific, like it, it, you had, you gave yourself that space and that, that energy around it was, was perfect. And I, there's, there's something, and again, why you hanging out like Max is this Max is for sure coming on. Cause we, we have, so, we have, we have come on again is what I meant to say is cause mm. we have so much to explore, <laughs> but I, it's cause I, I want to keep going down the pick my brain route, but there was one thing yeah. that I wanted to zoom in on just how you think yeah. that I'm, I'm just mm. naturally really curious about it. You said the language, I a hundred percent need to go over here. And just for some more context about how Max and I met, like we met, I knew she was amazing. I was like, I have this curiosity quest coming in like a week. Do you want to come? And she arranged her entire schedule to come to this curiosity quest. And so 
I just feel like you're you're an all in kind of person. I also made you take your Colby, which by the way, if had on the back, I was one number off on what I guess it was. <laughs> but true. but but Max Max is a four three nine three. The nine is quick start. So like like you 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 don't hesitate, but you're also very good at listening to your heart and making those decisions. So I'm kind of curious, like to unpack a little bit, like. For, for people that maybe don't make as much heart-based decisions or those gut decisions, which it seems like you very intuitively make, like talk to us a little bit about your thought process about like when you know you should be saying yes to something and how you come to that conclusion, leveraging your quick start and kind of your heart too. Mm, I love that. Um, it's, it's today because it's so practiced. Like I've jumped so many times um, in my life. Um, with a full all in type mentality that it's, it's natural. It's, it's basically what it is right now is like, my body says, fuck yes, um, completely. And then I just know. So I like now know enough to listen, but as you kind of navigate that, that's really what it is. I hear something like you told me about the curiosity quest. I met you and I'm like, fuck yes, I will reroute because of how high, like how fast we were able to connect that I knew that I needed to see you in action and that you were part of my story. Um, so when I get to those extreme, like those high, it's like love. It's like when you meet someone that you fall in love with, um, you adjust your path to get more love. That's how I adjust my path anyways. And I'm like, maximize the love. That's what I'm here to do. Um, I max, will max everything. <laughs> <laughs> to the max. Yeah, that's so funny. So that that's really what it is. I, um, you know, and and the, the older I get and the more work I do outside of my head, because I'm a very analytical person. And I'd say most of my guides and coaches like are like drop into your body, stop overanalyzing, like feel it out. And I'm getting better and in balance with that. And now I am a CEO that leads based on her. They call them in business animal spirits. They say CEOs have animal spirits. This is what mm. I learned in a degree of, of how CEOs talk about how they make these directions and how they see things. And they say it's a combination of everything, but they have these animal spirits that they listen to. And basically what that means is just your body's like, must connect with Dan, like Brandon more. Like my body's like, I need more Brandon. I'm going to listen to that. Cause clearly, you know, I, I know what I need. Just like my body knows when it's hungry, just like my body knows how to breathe. Mm. Um, my body also knows how to recognize what it needs in dosages. And I am clean enough and can feel that enough. And, and because I've had so many conversations as well, I can very quickly identify right? The more reps you do, the faster you get at, at identifying what a connection with a person could unlock. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, that's really what happens is just a full, it's, it's just so much better than it's, there's an increase. There's a, there's a level up in every department that I'm living. That is obvious. It just becomes obvious. This is the next mm. step. <laughs> go this way. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I think that's something that I've has recently started to come alive for me too, is like, people say, listen to your gut. And like, I always heard that and it was kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah whatever. But like, yeah. it's recently become really real for me. It's not necessarily my gut, yeah. but like your body can listen yeah. and it knows. And like when I'm having a powerful conversation or someone says something to me, like I, the way it shows up for me is I usually get tingles down the back of my arms and down the back uh, of my neck. And like, yeah. it, nice. and, and so sometimes usually it's usually it's upper body. Usually it's the back of my arms and the back of my neck. When I feel something, it's like, Holy shit, there was something there. And cool. I think that it's, it's, it's just so important 
And I'm just really working to consciously start integrating the listening of your body into things, which by the way, Gay Hendricks has been on my show for you listening. And I would highly encourage you to check out, he wrote the book called The Big Leap and Gay's really good at this. I don't remember oh if we talked gosh, about it. The Big Leap is so good. Gay, Gay's amazing. He's just an amazing human being. But like, I think it might've actually been a podcast I, I listened to him on, but like, he kind of like views his body as like a like a, he's got like a dashboard in his brain of like different switches and stuff like that. But like he's really good at listening. I just think it's 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 something that I'm excited to explore more about. And and because I can get really in my head and it's just been cool to watch yeah. you and how you show up and you make your decisions, too, because like as much as you are a lot like you, people could tell, like you're a thinker, like, you know, a lot like you're also willing to listen to what your body's saying, too, which is really cool. Um Oh my gosh. So we got, we got all, we, this is so we, we got all the way here. We haven't talked about pick my brain. So, so I'm trying to think about like a logical place that we could maybe tease about this and then we can do a part two. I don't know when the part two is going to happen, but, but I think it's really cool. Maybe what we can do is talk about how you began to validate the idea of pick my brain. Yeah. So um, yeah. I thought this was brilliant and you had three conversations invalidating that completely changed your life. So I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about that. And then maybe we can take a pause and continue for, <laughs> for part two, wherever, wherever it leads us. I love it. Um, okay. Yeah. So I got impregnated with this idea of buying and selling and gifting knowledge, right? This knowledge economy. Uh, can I, right. I just started asking my, myself these questions. Like, what if I could have a conversation with anyone in the world? What if I could go for coffee and conversation with anyone in the world? What if I could get paid to have a conversation with anyone in the world? What does that unlock? And, and I started to notice things like my mom, who was a successful entrepreneur, was retiring and didn't know how to share her knowledge, but wanted to. And I was like, hmm, okay, like all these make sense. Um, and I remember starting to do my economic modeling. I'm like, whoa, this really makes sense if it could work, um, you know, and, and looking for other validation on the market that, you know, consulting people pay for knowledge, but like, how do you break it down? So anyways, I was like, okay, well, I got to go see if someone will pay for my knowledge. I'm a nobody. If I can sell my knowledge, anyone can sell their knowledge. And I was like, how am I going to validate this? I didn't have a, a website. I didn't, I hadn't built a tech stack. I just wanted to um, take what I learned in couch surfing and Airbnb and apply it to knowledge. So again, full circle back to Airbnb, the company that changed my life. Um, they had just launched experiences. And an experience was basically a personal, like you could go on a tour with anyone in the world. That was their ideas. Like you can um, allow someone to take you to their favorite places um, in your city. Uh, and I was like, okay, I could, I could use this marketplace to test my concept. No one on Airbnb experiences was, nor are they still, um, like there's no such thing as like going for a coffee and conversation with someone on Airbnb experiences. It's typically an experience. Let's make a drink. Let's make a coffee. Let's take your pictures. Let's go surfing, which is great, but I am interested in conversation. So I go into Airbnb experiences. I'm like, how do I test this? I'm going to sell my knowledge and I make a listing and the listing is called coffee and conversation with a Vancouver startup founder. And I put $50 as the price. And in the description, I said, uh, this, if anybody wants to talk about their ideas, if anyone wants to talk about the future of work or the future of education with a new Vancouver startup founder, I'm offering coffee and conversation uh, at my favorite coffee shop book here. And I said, okay, let's see if people will pay a nobody for uh, a conversation over coffee. Okay, and wait, listen. hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. I, 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 I really, ugh, I can't, I, I, I want to talk about one thing that you said right there and then I want to continue, right. but like, 
The title was new Vancouver startup founder. And this was like, you just came from a year. So like you had, you adapted a new identity, like from that. So, so how did, how, how did that feel to make that jump of saying I'm a startup founder and listing? Cause I think somebody like the power of what you did here of like, how can I take the smallest possible action? How can I validate this? This is super important, but the Mm -hmm. identity shift that's associated with that is just as important as making that experimentation. So like, I'm curious if you can just share just a little bit about that identity shift that you, you made and how that felt to kind of say you were something when you were just getting started with that thing. Love that. Good pickup. Um, yeah, I, so at that point I had moved to Vancouver was like eight months in on my year on, um, you know, and had been thinking about this idea of pick my brain for about two to three months before I made this offer and just started sketching my idea and did, I did transition to be like, because the night I got the idea, I was like, this is my life. I am now, I am now working on pick my brain. I am now building this idea. I didn't have the name of the company then, but I was like, this is my, this is my new identity that night. I was like, well, this is my now entire mission and vision. So I feel like I did switch my identity that night. And then over the next three months, just like started to learn about it. And then as validating this, I was, I was like, this is what I am now. Yeah. I am a, I'm a founder that is going to be like Brian Chesky and build a marketplace like Airbnb, um, but for knowledge. And I, I did just shift that. And how did I feel about introducing it? I felt good and authentic about it because I said new Vancouver startup founder. Um, I added elements of economics being like, let's talk about, I'm an economist, I'm an investment banker, and now I'm a startup founder. Let's talk about your ideas. If you want to know more about Vancouver startup scene, I've just started to learn about it. Um, and if you want to talk about these things, I'm very um, good at talking about these things. Hmm, right. Okay. So uh, yeah. Does I, that, yeah. I, that... No, hundred percent. I love that. And I think it's super. Okay. So this, cause we can naturally continue where you left off because yeah. not only did you make that shift, but then you quickly validated and got paid for it. So you said, I'm a new startup okay. founder and yeah. then people invested their money into yeah. that identity. And I'm sure that that massively was like it was a massive mm-hmm. affirmation that you were the that you were that founder so anyways continue with the the like how that continued to manifest <laughs> another great point i just want to pause on that for one sec because yeah when you shift a career like we all go through transitions and we're so scared we feel like imposters when we shift because we're new but there's mm-hmm. actually value in being new you know, oh, there you can get paid when you're new. Sometimes I want a new perspective rather than an experienced perspective because that perspective is what I'm looking for. So perspective is the thing that we're valuing, not the experience or years. You know, I wasn't telling people I was going to help them fresh their startup. I was like, do you want to talk to someone who is doing this life um, that is trying this idea? Give it a go. And people responded. And 60 people over the course of three months. And I think I did like 40 on Airbnb and then I shifted it to pick my brain and quickly built it, booked and paid me for this offer immediately. I remember I posted it and the next day I got someone booked me and they were like, um, it's my birthday coming up. This is a gift I want to buy myself. Um, I just moved here from Brazil. I'm entrepreneurial by nature. This is what I did in Brazil. And I would just love to talk to another woman that's doing this. And I was like, no way. Um, first of all, how empowering is that someone buying you for their birthday gift to themselves? (laughs) Um, and again, someone who is from another country that I could offer value to and, and, and then these requests started coming in and the people behind them, I was like, I was like willing to pay to go to these sessions. I was like, I would be willing to go pay to be here too. 
um, to talk to you, but I just made the offer. So you are paying me. Um, that was really interesting. And, uh, yeah, the first person that booked me, Yasmin, this birthday gift, uh, we just had such a powerful conversation. I fell in love with her. Um, she fell in love with me. We stayed friends and she ended up becoming my very first employee with pick my brain later down the line, three years later. Um, you know, crazy. So again, I, I started to learn over this journey, the compounding impact of a conversation. Everyone says they don't have time for one-on-one. I'm like, God, the compound is like a hundred X is better than the stock market, the compounds of conversation and connection. And they come later and you get a burst at the beginning because you guys have right. The, the marginal return of learning about someone for the first time is huge, right? You get to jump massively because before you didn't know this person at all. And now you know them, you know, where they live, you know, what they do, you know, what they care about, you know, what they're working on. So like massive value. And then all of that value unlocked allows us to continuously unlock more value forever. If we want, if we pursue the portal of value creation has been opened through conversation, trust, and like a mutual desire to meet, greet, and make the time to do that. Huh. Makes me just like so excited because the, the calculations in my brain as a math and economics are just infinite. And this is that abundant world that I believe that we live in. And it, instead of scarcity, which we are, which is the current math model is, is associated with scarcity instead of abundance. And we just need to flip a few things in the, in the calculation and the variable equations to reverse from scarcity to complete abundance. So anyways, that's tangent. Um, then the second person booked me and, um, they were, uh, uh, involved in the Vancouver startup scene again, an innovator because Airbnb experiences was new. Um, they booked me on the platform. We had an insane conversation about Vancouver startup scene. He was way more experienced than me. He had a startup, sold a startup. I was like, why are you booking me again? Validation. Why are you booking me? You sold a company for millions of dollars and you want to talk to me and you want to pay me to talk to me. I was shocked again. And, um, he ended up being like, I want you to pitch. I was telling everyone that was booking me about this idea as well. So I'm naturally already um, sharing this idea and getting validation on my idea while meeting them, while creating connections, while creating value, while creating a revenue stream. So anyways, that conversation ended up me pitching and getting my very first investment check for $50,000 into pick my brain, which was so, okay. So yeah, validation was just like stacking galore, right? Um, massive connection, being invited to different events that I didn't have access to someone investing in my company, um, these people reaching out to me that had way more experience than I did, but wanting to talk to a new person. That was very interesting. And then the third booking was this personal unlocking that went beyond professional. And it was this gentleman from Regina, Saskatchewan that reached out and said, I'm, I'm in Vancouver for a Google conference. I have a startup in Regina. I have 30 plus employees or one of the fastest growing companies. I want to book you. And again, I'm like, what the hell? Like, I don't have any employees. I'm so new. I don't know what you're going to get out of this, but sure. Right. And I was like, again, being like, I can't believe I get to meet this founder who found me through this platform. We meet. Um, and long story short, I fall in love with him, like in a, in a deeply profound ways that again, alters the course of my entire life and my routing. And it was because he was the first person that he was just this crazy startup founder that broke all the rules in the way that I wanted to break the rules and like took my dream. I'm a big dreamer. And he took it and 10 X it in one session. I was like, who is this person? 
like, like, you know, and then the second time we hung out, we just rented a Tesla and tested self-driving cars. And I was like, oh my God, like, how did I not know I could have friends that thought like me and wanted to do things like me in this way again? And that was another validation. And then like, that's three stories of 57 more that these insights kept happening. Not one experience was bad. I would say every experience was abundant. Um, and multi-dimensional and what it offered me personally, professionally, spiritually, validation, confidence, network expanding, travel opportunities opened up to me. Um, and I was spreading my idea around the world. And it's just, it's, uh, thank you for letting me share it again. Cause I, I just remember like how validating that was. And so again, that just made my body be like, this is, this is it. This is it. Cause this is, there's too much value here. You can't not unlock this for the rest of the world. And had I been smart, I would have just done coffee and conversations, but COVID hit. So I had to expand, but right. This idea of what if I could have a, just go for coffee and conversation with anyone in the world and have a connection and have no expectations for 50 bucks. Um, I would never feel alone again. And I would have access to so many intimate things that I do not have access to that I want to right? my curiosity is so strong, but it always reaches the barrier because I can't get in the door that would unlock more curiosity sometimes because there's barriers, but this would unlock those barriers. And then I was off and then, you know, fast forward to now and, you know, we're still building and figuring it out, but on, on a global pursuit to make th that available to everyone. Um, yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> well, I think that, that that's like, that's the epic way to kind of start rap. Like it's a dot, dot, dot. Like there's dot, like, dot. I knew, I knew from the beginning, I said to Max, I don't know if this was in the recording or not in the recording. Like, like we have so much to talk about. I knew it wasn't possible to fit it in like an hour. Max and I also have some other things we want to talk about. And so I, I, I want to be respectful because we have some, some epic plans for next week that we had to figure out, but, <laughs> but, I, I, but, but let me just, let me just highlight a few things that you said that I think are just so, so powerful. The first was we talked about this concept of like, okay, I'm a new startup founder. You put on that title, you wore that title, you got paid for that title, but you got validation for that identity in so many ways, right? So like that was like massive votes of like these people that were way further ahead of than you. And I, I want to highlight that because it's so important. And I think it's really cool because no matter where you are in your life, you're a beginner in something. And that beginner perspective is super valuable to people that are so in the trenches. I did like basically like a whole course on this because I created my dream job out of college working for this guy and it, Jonathan Levy, I ended up running his marketing for, for several years and it was amazing. But that was one of the things that he said from the very beginning. He's like, you're passionate, you're smart. And you don't know stuff. And that is insanely valuable because I could see and ask questions about things that like somebody that was way more experienced couldn't. And so like, if you're listening to this right now, and maybe there, I know we have people across all different spectrums, but if you are that person that hasn't started that business and are wor worried about that new identity, you know, not having enough experience, like there's so much value. And I think Max's story is a perfect example of that. If somebody that was just willing to be curious, willing to test an idea and and just shifted her identity a little bit and then got those votes of confidence. Now I'm now I'm just on a rant. The other thing I want to say is the the I love the container of the experimentation. Like I think people make 
shit way too hard when in yes. reality it's like why don't why don't you just do that why don't you set up a thing on airbnb it takes yeah. you an hour and see what the fuck happens right like yeah. so many things in my life have changed because yeah. i was like what would happen if i just deleted social media from my phone for a week all right let's do it and like i haven't had social media on my phone since like 2016 right like and that, that's changed my life in so many different ways i think so much that can be unlocked if you're willing to lean into the characteristics of what Max is talking about is just like, just be curious. And like, what's the worst that can happen? That's one of the biggest things that I learned from my dad. It's like, he always taught me, it's like, what's the worst that can happen? It's like, usually it's like, they say no, even though it's kind of funny because my dad is kind of a worry award, but in context of like experiments, like what's the worst that can happen? Like if, as long as you're okay with like recovering, like mentally, you know, but, but that last rant, last rant, this is what happens with me and Max is like, we get on these rants. When I, I believe, and this is, this has been true for me is like, when you finally find that alignment, like this is becoming a, so alive for me with beyond curious. It's like the universe just keeps sending like validation in so many different ways. Right. And so it's like the fact that you were like, you had this idea, it was a full body. Yes. I'm going to validate this. I'm going to put it on Airbnb. And the first three fucking people that show up are like perfect. Like, like, like literally it was like, okay, you're, you're doing something right here, Max. Let That's me good. just, yeah. let me just, let me just share, let me just put some good, good stuff there. And so it's really cool because it's like, for me, the curiosity quest was one of those things. And I know I haven't really talked about this on a podcast on episode yet. Maybe I should do a full episode on my downloads for it, but like, uh, the the experience that I had at the quest was like, I watched myself come alive, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, there was, there was so much to that event of like putting people that I love together. It was full body. Yes. The entire time. And it's like, man, it just makes me so happy to hear that in your story. But then also some of the yeah. stuff that Max and I are talking about is like how we can kind of mix our superpowers together to create more of that in the world, leveraging, like pick my yeah. brain and helping people come more alive with their purpose and all that kind of stuff. So that was just like a massive rant on so many cool things that you said there but oh man that was so good <laughs> so good also it's such a good dot 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 and yeah this is like the chapter I'm so interested to watch our podcast expand as we combine because my full body was that you had the code words curiosity conversation connection you care about it as much as me I can feel it and I wanted to watch you and then I saw it and I was like Kate hey, uh, whatever we do we got to do something together because our passion is way too big not to um you know and and we are obsessed with it we are like hungry <laughs> for we're, we become alive when it happens around us and I saw that in you immediately which made me be like again reroute how do we partner right I am just like in this mode of being like combined because this is a massive um yeah monumental going it's a big mission it's a big mission we have uh so yeah, combining superpowers is like even more fun than identifying what your own superpower is to me. Heck yes. Max and I owe yeah. like a flight to Jem to give Jem a hug in, in Australia. Really so, <laughs> so yeah, I feel like thank Jem you, Jem. Jem. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Jem. I feel like is gonna be some visiting character in some soon. I just finished his book. I've been meaning like he'll come back. He'll 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 have to show. Tell me something that happens with gem. <laughs> yeah, there's some gem love. Okay, I'm gonna toss out yeah. some some uh some more curiosity for part two. We'll see. Right. I don't know. At this point of me this coming out of my mouth, Max and I don't know when we're recording a part two. I don't know if it's gonna come after this conversation or when, but yeah. so many things that are left to uncover with Max, like the first of and, and I think we're gonna create lots of content on this too. It's like you've done eighteen hundred sessions with people on on Pick My Brain, and one of yeah. your skill sets is like being able to identify wicked quick 
how to align someone's purpose with the value that the world needs and the business model that backs it. And like, you can do that in like 30 minutes. And it was really cool because when uh, yeah. Max came to the curiosity quest, I did this activity called wander and wonder where like I, I took two people I knew needed to talk and I paired them and said, you need to talk and like go talk. And it was really cool because I would stand between two sets of people having a walk. I didn't have a partner. And it was like listening to two live podcasts simultaneously. And I just like sat and listened to Max do several of these things live. And I'm like, this is so cool. How do you do that? So like, I want to deconstruct that. So we'll talk about that. There's, there's so much more about where pick my brain is going, like the vision, the implications of this kind of stuff and creating more connection about curiosity moonshots. That's another crazy idea that, that Max and I have. I guess the problem, the problem is when you put an eight and nine quick start together, pieces are going to drop, but you know, these yeah, are all exciting okay. things that we're, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've, got, we've got 40 years. It's all good. Some of them will. <laughs> so anyways, I can keep ranting. So those are some things to potentially look forward to whether or not we get to that in our next conversation. Um, but I'm just going to start wrapping up and have a conversation with you listening as I always do. And I just want to mm -hmm. say, I'm so, I'm so grateful for you. I, mm -hmm. I say this at the end of every episode. I don't get sick of saying it because I really mean it. If you are listening to my voice right now, that means that you have hung on for a journey. You've, you've heard about Max, Max's mom naked, getting a Turkish bath in front of four of her guy friends. You've heard about the parties that Max threw in, in high school and how that tied together and maybe informed some of her moves and how she's found a way to kind of create that alignment of who she always was and to pick my brain and the implications of that. And so there is something in here, whether it was a, a tangible takeaway or just part of Max's story that can absolutely change someone's life. My podcast or being a part of a listener, other people's audiences has totally transformed my life. And so my ask for you listening is seriously, it's not weird. Text a friend that you know needs to listen to this and you don't know. You may never even hear back from them that it changed their life, but it might, right? And you have that power. So my ask is that you do that, but whether a chance, whether you do that or not, I so appreciate you for being here. And Max, as we conclude part one, any final things that you want to say before we head off <laughs> today? My heart is full. My mind is full. My body is full. I'm just like so full. Thank you. That was so fun. That is my definition of happiness is what just happened there. If you're going to end, but that is it. I, I, okay. All right. I, I, I was, I, I thought we were running out, but okay. We'll use yeah, that yeah, as the yeah. final thing. So amazing. Yeah. Max, this has been amazing. Part two coming soon. I appreciate you so much and we'll talk to you soon.